Hello, hello, hello. There we go. We have liftoff. So um, I'm going to ask the, uh, another pastor in the church, also my father-in-law, Rodney Lloyd, to come up here and, and join me. Um, so what we're going to do over the next couple minutes is uh, just a special moment. I felt that it would be good to hear a little bit about our past, in a sense. Um, and then I'm going to be, so we're going to talk to the older one about our past. <laughs> He'll be the Old Testament, I'll be the New Testament now. Uh, we're going we're gonna, to... Um, I'm under grace. <laughs> you're under grace. Um, yeah, I think we can use this one here. And uh, so just to give a little bit of background, a couple weeks ago, many of you would remember that we had Chanel Rousseau come from South Africa uh, and profoundly impacted a lot of people in this room and other people who were also there, uh, prophetically gifted lady, but servant of the Lord. And, and so while sitting around our table in our, in our uh, apartment and news center, um, she just started picking this man's brain. Tell me about Rama Bible College. Tell me about Kenneth Hagin. Tell me about the, the miracles that happened. Tell me, I want to know how to. And so he just started sharing these stories, and I, and I began to feel like, you know what? We really need as a church body to, because it directly relates to the start of this church. So there's history that many of you don't know. And so I'm just going to let Rodney share a little bit. And like I said, I'll be sharing about where we're going. He'll be showing about some things that led us to this place. I'll be sharing where we're going to be going, and then we're going to cap it off looking real quick at Jesus in John chapter 1, getting some lessons, three particular lessons on how it is that we get there. Yeah. So Rodney, yeah, how are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. Good. You look good. <laughs> thank you, so do you. Yeah, thank Very you. sharp there. I try. <laughs> so, Rodney, tell us a little bit of a background. You were from Tennessee. You yeah. grew up maybe in somewhat of a church-going home, but you never really met right. the Lord. And at some point, there was something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit yeah. that happened in relationship to your life yeah. related to Detroit. How did that happen? I had, I had actually moved to Detroit. I was single at the time. I moved to Detroit in January of 1972. I had just been born again mid-December, and I was struggling, uh, to say the least. And so I'd been given a magazine, Full Gospel Businessmen's Magazine, and on the back of it were the international directors, and I saw that one of them lived fairly close. So I called him, and third time I called him, he said, listen, my brother Dan, Dan Nanowski, is is having a Bible study in his basement tonight. Would you be willing to go over there? And I said, yeah. So I went in there, and uh, I entered into a realm that I had knew nothing about. And they prayed for me to receive what's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is in five different locations in the book of Acts. And so, um, anyway, that was a tremendous uh, blessing to me. Not long after that, uh, I had met Nita uh, a little while before that. Not long after that, I moved back to Tennessee to finish college. And um, the, the thing that was so amazing was that during that time, I, I, I had a real amazing experience one Sunday morning in church. God called me into the ministry just supernaturally. And it's very interesting. I just felt compelled to call this man that I hardly knew, Dan Nanowski in Detroit, to tell him, that I was uh, going to seminary. I was going to go to a Baptist seminary. And he said this. He said, you know, 
that's wonderful if that's what God wants you to do. But he said, Kenneth Hagin, who I knew very little about, is starting a Bible school in Tulsa this September. This was 1974 now. And he said, I just feel compelled to invite you and your wife, pay your way to Tulsa to, visit, uh, to go to his uh, annual meeting. They call it camp meeting. And so while we were at that camp meeting, my wife was instantly healed of a bleeding ulcer. Uh, we, I'll put it like this, we entered into a realm that we did not know existed. Mm. And so our steps were reordered. We felt to go to that school. And it turned out that Dan Nanowski paid our, my way. I was, I was the only one that went to school. Nita was a nurse at the time, and she worked while I went to school. He paid our way. And... Um, uh, backing up a bit, when I was living here, before I moved back to Tennessee, I went by the bank, Michigan National Bank, which I don't think exists anymore, at four, on 14 Mile at the Oakland Mall, and as I was walking out after closing the account, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, you will be back. And I had no idea what that meant. Uh, not long after that, I was driving back to Tennessee. My father had come to get me because I had to return my business car. And we were driving, and I was actually driving, and my, my brother and a friend and dad were with me. And all of a sudden, there was a light in the heavens. I honestly thought Jesus was coming back. And that light came down. Nobody saw it but me, and I became ecstatic. <laughs> and so that light disappeared behind, you know, these mobile signs that stores will buy to advertise what they're doing that was <clears throat> sitting there by the road. And there was an arrow pointing north. And when I saw that arrow, the Holy Spirit once again said, you're going to return to Michigan. Now, I didn't have a clue. So anyway, I went ahead and I, and I went to Raymond Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that Kenneth Hagin had started. And um, so I, I went, I planted a church in Tennessee. Then I go back in 1978, became a lecturer there. And then in 1981, there was a church in the suburbs called Bloomfield Hills Christian Church. At the time, it was meeting in the Birmingham Community Center. And um, so they were interested in me. I had preached for them three or four times, maybe five times, and they were interested in me coming to, to be the pastor. And so it was Thanksgiving weekend of, of 1980, and they had invited us all to come up. Uh, Minda was a little a little girl at the time, and, and our son was even smaller than that. And so to come up for the holiday weekend of Thanksgiving and uh, just discuss it. And so we did that, but it was interesting. Uh, I had been lecturing at Raymond Bible Training Center that Wednesday morning, the day before Thanksgiving, and I was in my office getting my stuff together. And Kenneth Hagan, who, uh, who many of you may be aware of, many of you may not, but a, a true prophet in, in, in a truest sense, um, he appeared in my doorway, and we had a conversation. Huh? He walked. <laughs> like, a, he like, walked. A, like a human being walked to the, okay. He walked. I mean, he, that's the way you he talk was sometimes. He appeared. Okay. And so he, um, he said this. He said, you know, he said, listen, he said, uh, if you feel that you need to leave, then uh, that's, that's great. We'd love for you to stay. But um, he said, you told me that your commitment is till the end of the year in May. But he said, I just really feel I need to tell you this. He said, if you feel like you're the one that's supposed to go take that church, then you're free to go at the end of January. 
because he said, if you wait till May, the church will not be in existence. And I just thought that is really strange. But I honored Kenneth Hagin. I mean, I, you know, obviously mm. he's a man, but I had learned, you know, the old, um, well, I'd learned this, that when, when Kenneth Hagin speaks, people listen. <laughs> not that he can't miss it, miss yeah. it. But yeah. it really spoke to my heart. So anyway, to make a long story short, we moved up here February 1st in 1981. And that church had been three years without a pastor. And it had been primarily led by two businessmen, Joe and Dan Nanowski, brothers. And they had done a very good job holding the church together. And so I, I came on uh, to be the, the pastor of the church. And on the 19th of February, 19 days after we moved, Joe and Dan Nanowski were killed in a plane crash at Oakland, Oakland Airport. And uh, so what Kenneth Hagin said was very prophetic. There needed to be somebody in leadership. In other words, if, if that type of tragedy, the, the men who had led the church basically for three years, and if there had not been somebody there, uh, it could have been somebody else, but it was, it was what God had, had planned. God had planned these things. And so um, we, 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 we took it, and God was gracious. We went through a lot of difficult situations. Actually, that row right there, those four people are from Bloomfield Hills Christian Church, which is another church, a wonderful church in a different location. But um, anyway, um, something happened that I think is very significant relative to this. Uh, one Sunday morning in the early 80s, I, I don't know when it was, 82, 83, uh, we had been downtown Detroit, uh, and we had seen this shop. And the shop was making bumper stickers. And those bumper stickers said, say nice things about Detroit. And that rang a bell. You know, Detroit was really, really devastated mm. in the early 80s, uh, even more so than, than it is now. And um, so one Sunday morning, I, I'm preaching. And uh, I, I just said this. I didn't plan to say it. It was just one of those things that I feel like the Lord was bringing an awareness to us. And he and this is what I said. I said, if people ask you what Detroit is coming to, tell them this. Detroit is coming to Jesus. And so it, it kind of became not really a motto, but a heart cry. And I'll be honest, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I didn't have a clue about how to do that, but I knew that it was... Something that God was saying. We had bumper stickers made up that had the Detroit skyline on it, and it said Detroit is coming to Jesus. And um, so, uh, jump ahead. Uh, I, when we left uh, Michigan in 1989, I didn't plan to ever come back here. I really didn't. Uh, you know, because we don't know the future. God shows us some things of the future, but he doesn't give us everything. Yeah. And so... Um, God began to deal with us, Nita and I, back uh, four or five years ago, that we should shift our base in the U.S. Mm. to Michigan. And uh, this was before Paul Amenda had any clue about coming back to the States. They were our <laughs> pastors in Johannesburg, South Africa. And so um, I, I, I really, if I can just take a, a mm -hmm. short moment. Uh, we didn't start the work of God in Detroit. Good. 
uh, I mean, we didn't, but neither did us moving to Detroit in 1981. Uh, this is the way God works. God has things in his heart. And God unfolds them in his perfect timing as it pleases him. And so that particular church is very interesting. That church that I became the leader of in 1981 had been established in 1928 in Hamtramck. It was called Russian Pentecostal Church because it was Ukrainian Christians who had established the church. And it went through various transitions. It became Evangel Temple Assembly of God. And then with the decay of the city, they eventually moved and started meeting in Birmingham. And, and so God had a plan. And I don't even, I'm not even pretending that Border City Church is, is a continuation of that. But I do know this. It is a continuation of God's plan to impact a city. And so even though we were saying Detroit is coming to Jesus, my whole heart now is about we are bringing Jesus to Detroit. Because really that's the purpose of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Christ through his spirit lives in us. And in our daily walk, not just in church services, but wherever we are, we are to connect people to the living God through loving them and serving them. And so that's where we are in this particular moment in time. Amen. Awesome. Good. Thank you, Rodney. That's so good. So Chanel uh, was just saying that she believes that there's such a gift with Rodney, both from and Nita, both from the experiences that they've had in the background that God led them through and seeing the mighty acts of God and supernatural, and uh, but the teaching gift that Rodney has as well of training in uh, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so she was saying, you need to capitalize on this. And I, I just feel it is so strategic for us to have Rodney and Nita who can share with us from, the, from the, the things that have been from times past, that what has happened, that God, that would stir our faith in the now, but that the, the, the values and the things that God has done in the past, we don't need to lose those things. We need to honor the fathers, can I say, and to stand on shoulders and honor the fact that we are where we are because of them and to receive from that, but we also need to move into today and into the future. And um, so we want to receive, this. God's always worked this way, receive from the past, but then continue to move into what God is saying today. And so speaking of that, I want to reiterate again what we have looked at throughout the month, and we'll just say it again, these five visionary points that speak to our future. Now, now it sounds like this great thing we've sat down and come up with this strategic five-point plan. Boil this down, it's what Jesus did. And the, to the best of our understanding, we as the church are to follow him and to continue in what he always has been doing. That's it. So these five visionary points, here they are, kind of taking the life of Christ, but specifically into our context as a local church. Here they are. Firstly, is that every member of Border City Church, maybe I could say every disciple of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, that calls this place their home, their church home, they would be involved in receiving discipleship and involved in giving it away. 
And what does that mean? That as a follower of Jesus, we follow Jesus. That's what it is to be a disciple. That is, by the way, the call of the church. Go and make disciples of all nations. So everything that we're doing, all the, I say it often, all the, the groceries that we shop for and the diapers that we change and all of that, the, every facet of our life fits into the context from God's perspective of that mission. Go and make disciples. So that would say that we need to follow Jesus. It would say that we need to allow others to help us become better and better followers of Jesus, and we need to be on the mission of helping others to be followers of Jesus. Number two is that we would develop the spheres that God has already graced us to have opened up to us. And specifically what I mean, two of those things would be this past year, 2018, uh, we had the privilege of having opened up to us Durfee Elementary Middle School, where we are mentoring and tutoring and partnering with Detroit Public Schools, who have, whose superintendent has started the, De, the Detroit Public School Faith-Based Initiative, asking for faith-based organizations to come and help impact and meet needs in the schools. Now, in our culture, in our society, we need to step through that door. Um, and we have a great relationship with the administration of that school. You've met uh, the principal. She's been here, Ms. LaToya Webb-Harris. Um, and we want to develop what we're doing there. We want to take it to another level. Our, our impact, and not, please hear me, not our impact, so that Border City Church becomes great, the impact of Jesus on lives of people in that community. Uh, secondarily would be DRMM, Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries. We've been uh, working in kind of a mentoring way as well there, sharing with the guys, but ultimately it's all about building relationship with men who are in that kind of homeless shelter and uh, wanting to partner with them. We've got Andrew sitting over there. He was, he was there. I'm sure you don't mind me pointing you out, but he's, he's what, like the becoming a manager of a um, Tim Hortons, which, you know, in these parts, in this neck of the woods, Tim Hortons, that's like, you know, you know you've made it win. <laughs> Tim Hortons like owns this place. I've, we don't even have Tim Hortons where I'm from. But anyways, Andrew, um, 10 months. Oh, wow, Gee, oh, that's amazing. Mm. So, um, and, and we want to develop that, what we're doing in Detroit Rescue Mission Ministries, and specifically it would be this. It would be that we want to increase the amount of real discipleship that we have with men who are still living there, that, uh, that they would be uh, being helped in their journey and being commissioned to disciple others so that when we're not there, there's continuing to be an influence and a light shining in that place. Uh, but we also, I, I say often, I want to work my way out of a job. Uh, I believe that uh, we need to, to uh, whether that happens in 2019, I don't know, but so that we can continue to move and to break into other spheres, so to speak, uh, and have other people who, who this becomes their primary thing. So thirdly, we want to uh, also, can I say, break into new spheres. Um, and again, when we say break in, we're not talking about like some kind of imperialistic taking over society. You know, we're not, <laughs> you know, we're loving people, we're serving people, but Jesus wants to go into places, the presence and knowledge of Jesus into places where he isn't known yet. That's what we're talking about, that people would encounter him and encounter the Father and couldn't but help but to follow him um, and enter into this awesome journey of being transformed into his image. 
And so we want to break into new spheres. A lot of what I just represent, uh, spoke of, DRMM, Durfee, a lot of that speaks of areas of society in our city of need, which is awesome. There are other elements to Detroit society and that Jesus also wants to reach. People of influence in government and in business and in, the, who, who knows, the auto industry. I'm a realtor in the real estate industry, et cetera, et cetera. Various places of, of society break into new spheres. So develop what we have, break into new. And then fourthly, we want to see and are convinced that it is imperative that uh, demonstrations of power, of Jesus' power and glory would manifest through his people as a sign and a witness to the reality of the gospel. You can talk to your blue in the face, but when you encounter the authentic power of Jesus, uh, it's hard to argue with that. And um, we, we're, we're jealous for that, for, for, the, for the witness, not only in word, but in action and in demonstrations of power. And we believe that fifthly, 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 that uh, new followers of Jesus is simply the result of, our, of us giving ourselves to these first four things. That as we do that, as we follow Jesus into that, that the byproduct of that is new followers of Jesus. People maybe who once had known him and have walked away, people maybe like myself, first 17, 18 years of my life, didn't know him at all, uh, encountering him and becoming a follower of Jesus. So we invite you to join us in that. That's, we're, we're not about just kind of sitting in a chair and facing forward and, you know, this is important, but there's a purpose for doing this. And it's not, it doesn't end here. The purpose of this is what happens outside of here. And uh, so I want to just talk in, into that from John chapter 1. You can turn there with, with me. Three things about how Jesus started his ministry. I think if Jesus showed us a pattern for how he broke into new spheres, how he did and began to do all of these four things that I'm talking about, maybe we should take our cues from him. I don't know. Does that sound cool? It would make sense to me. So John, the gospel writer of John, the apostle John, has a different kind of version, if you will, of the life of Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going to kind of skim over some of these critical details of how this journey actually began for him, whereas John goes into technicolor. And John talks about it from a highly relational standpoint, talking about the people who were involved, talking about the subtle things that Jesus did in this moment of beginning his ministry. And many of you would know, Jesus began his ministry. Uh, there was a guy named John the Baptist, cousin of Jesus, who was baptizing at the Jordan River. Jesus himself gets baptized. Am I, are you remembering the story? He's driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. Maybe significant for us as well, right? We've been doing that for the, for the past month. Um, and he reemerges back into this scene where John the Baptist is. And John the Baptist just knows that the Father has revealed to him that there's a man who, who, who is coming whose sandal you're not even worthy to untie. And you'll, he's the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And when he saw Jesus... He said in the presence of some of his disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, if you and I are disciples of John the Baptist, 
We're getting baptized. We're hearing this prophet speak. We're, all these crowds are gathering to hear what's going to happen next. There's a sense of expectation of Messiah is on his way. And this guy, John the Baptist, says, Behold, the Lamb of God. What would you do? Maybe go home and say, Wow, that was cool. <laughs> so two of these disciples say, Okay. And they start to follow him. And uh, if you'll pick up with me in the verse, I believe it's 35. We're going to read 35 to 42 and just take a point out of that. It says, Again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, "What What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour, in other words, 4 p.m. I want you to take note of that 39th verse there. He said, come and see, and they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Let's go back to that 39th verse. First thing, there are three things that we want to dive into here. We're going to read that portion and then continue on with the next few verses. Three things. The first being is that, hear this, what Jesus started, the first act of his ministry, as recorded in what we just read, was to have people join him over a meal in his home. I believe that that is a powerful message from the deity, from the Godhead, to say what I start is all about intimacy and relationship in a home. Being known and knowing, real. Which in one sense is so attractive to so many of us, but I just want to put on the front end that it's also very dangerous. Because when, you're, when you value that, you become exposed. Unless we're going to play church and do the fake thing. But when we really spend time with each other in a home like Jesus started, which evidently was the nature of what he started, we can only do that if we value being known. As in, I've got stuff that I want to share that could help you, but you're also going to come into contact with the reality of my shortcomings. As a pastor, that can be threatening. I don't want them to see me. They're going to find out that I'm not perfect, and then they're not going to listen to me. And the, and the, and the same goes for all of us, but that is the reality of what the church really is, the family of God being reconciled to a father, which is family language. And so Jesus started, and I want to say, how are we going to do this grandiose, these five purposes? Let's start with that value. The first step is relationally connecting in a home. So there's two things I think that we can take from that. One is from a mission perspective. How is it that we reach people? You know, we always talk about like sweaty palms and how do I share the gospel and all this kind of thing. Can I say this? Let's start by loving people and spending time with them and just be real. And whatever is real inside of you, the real Jesus, it will come out through the course of relationship. If you allow yourself to be known, Jesus will come out. We don't need to think through how to phrase it and how to just love people and spend time with them. That's essentially what Jesus was doing and what he continued to do thereafter. 
The disciples were following him, eating meals, walking miles and miles. They were smelled each other's B.O. You know what I'm saying? It was real. <laughs> and then secondarily, from a cultural perspective, a church culture perspective, let's anchor ourselves. I know we have been taught and we have seen the pattern that church equals building Sunday morning. Please, can we break beyond that and value why it is that we do it here, I mean, do what we're doing here, and we've thought through, should we do it Tuesday night? Should we do it for some other? And we keep on coming back. Sunday just makes sense. But it's not some mystical Sunday morning in a building that looks like this. This is for training for what happens out there. But we can't just have this and call it church. This isn't church. Or this isn't the full spectrum of church. Church is family. It's relationship. It's knowing him and being known and knowing each other and being known. So that we can make him known to others who we invest our time into who don't yet know him, but will know him because we know him. Let's invest in that. And so specifically, I mean, if you look at Acts 2.46, this early church of Jerusalem, and in, in, in that 46 verse, it, it, it communicates kind of the essence of what the church was about. And it says that daily they met in the temple, the public gathering, and in house to house eating meals, sharing, and being glad. And we drive into, we, we, we try to facilitate that value by having what we call community groups. Minda just said we're not doing community groups over the winter months, but I'm inviting you, if you call yourself a member of Border City Church, to value with us why we do that. It's not just another program, it's family. And families spend time together, family shares meals together, family get to know each other and get to know him together. And so encourage you to do that. But over this winter, uh, these winter months, we're going to do that. We're just going to have a big community group meeting at Mickey's house, or Mickey's condominium, I should say, just a couple blocks up north on Woodward in the Ellington. It'll be fun. We'll move, we'll move furniture out of the way to make space for a larger group, and it's going to be awesome. And Rodney's going to be sharing and training us, but we're going to have time to, to, to minister to one another, and it's going to be good time spent together. Cool? Let's go on to the second, um, second and third points, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end it there. Verse 43. It says, The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I love how spending time with Jesus did something in the, inside of the hearts of these people that they came to believe that he was the Messiah just by virtue of having time with them. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Detroit? And Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. The second point that I want to say here, Important point. 
So this first thing is that what Jesus started started in home, relational connection. The second thing is this thing of demonstrations of power and glory. Let's be honest. How many of us feel a little intimidated when we start talking that language? What are you talking about? Demonstrations of power and glory. Me and Michelle, we, we feel intimidated. I think Minda's hand might have gone up. Honestly, with the thought of like, we're going to do this with demonstrations of power and glory. Jesus, now this is a little, I'm going out on a limb theologically here a little bit. But I think it is interesting that before Jesus did what is known as his first public miracle, act of power, which was, many of you would remember, the wedding feast of Cana, he turns water into wine. That wasn't the first operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in his life after the, he was baptized. The first gifts of the Spirit we just read, and it is the use of prophecy, speaking prophetic destiny and identity over people, just encouraging them in what the Father sees in them. That's what he did. And I want to say this, that if you want to see, and you and I want to see demonstrations of power and glory, start with the prophetic. I'm gonna, this is going to be a little bit more dangerous, too. Some of you who remember the 80s, like I can, uh, remember that, the, or even before that, the 70s and 60s, uh, this is a weird analogy, but just follow me. They used to say that marijuana was the gateway drug, right? You do that, and then you're going to wind up on crack or cocaine or whatever. Prophecy is like the gateway gift of the Spirit. I mean, I believe even speaking in, in tongues and praying in tongues and that thing, it, it actually kind of like gets the grooves turning. But prophecy is something that is actually so easy, and the scripture says you all may prophesy. And what is prophecy at its core for the New Testament church? It's essentially exhortation, edification, and comfort. And so if you just lean into the Holy Spirit's desire to encourage and edify another person, you might just get the most simple of images or just a sense in Peter. I mean, Jesus said to, to Cephas, you are... Um, I messed it up. He said to Simon that you're Simon, the son of John or Jonah, but you're going to be called Cephas, a stone, kind of Holy Spirit gift nature. And then he talks about a person, and he had what the Bible calls a word of knowledge. He saw a picture of Philip, I mean, excuse me, Nathaniel, discernment, and then he kind of shared that, no deceit. And so he prophetically confirmed, and what was identity and shared a word of knowledge? He went from going to from the testimony can come out of, out of Nazareth, he still didn't believe them, but he had heard act that they believed he was the Messiah, and where he said, you are the king of Israel. It, it, it's a, I want to suggest to us it still works. This us to just get trained and, and active in the thing we are reaching people, uh, but it's also we just say something that, that we... Uh, thirdly, can be the thing that births faith, is that, and this is incredibly important, so we've got acting in a home. This is first... His first step in the gifts of the Spirit was the use that you and I will see. Before he went to, is that Jesus, what he, what, how he reached, he worked through not just like organically, naturally existing spheres. John the Baptist, relationships. John, and it happened to be, got people who more or less were from Bethsaida, Simon Peter's brother. And so, next with Baptist, those two disciples, they connect, and then the group of three then connect all from the same, and then they connect, and where did Jesus go next after that in ministry? You want to guess? Bethsaida. He went to, he went to Cana. He went to that region of Galilee where they were all already connected. 
Is that haphazard? No. The, the gospel, get this, our planet is made up of social spheres. There's, uh, I work at Keller Williams Metro in Royal Oak. That's a sphere. We go to Durfee Elementary Middle School. That's a sphere. It's a group of people that are connected. You guys are connected into certain spheres. What God wants to do is cause there to be a light shining in every sphere that exists in this city and in this planet. How does he do that? By reaching people in those spheres who then become those lights. And, and connecting one person to another person, it begins to open up and that light begins to shine to where that light becomes brighter than the darkness in each of those spheres. That is how we do this. And so what I want to say is from the first thing that we said, what can you do in response to this thing about church and church home? Prioritize with us community group. And over the winter months, prioritize with us being trained in especially the things of the Holy Spirit and discipleship that's going to be at Mickey's house in February and March. Prioritize that with us. Go on that journey with us. There's no pressure, but we want you to be a part of that and to experience that with us. Secondly, this thing of um, the Holy Spirit, prioritize going to Mickey's house during winter so that you can be trained and begin to operate and grow in your confidence to be used by God in a prophetic way. And, and to see where that takes you, to minister and to help God, to be a part of God bringing transformation into people's lives. And then thirdly, this thing of organic, naturally existing social networks and spheres, what can you do with that? I would say to you this, and say to me, to me this, who is my Andrew or Peter and Philip? Who are those people that are beginning to, to say, you know what, I, I'm, I, I listen to you. Who listens to you? To, to recognize who those people are. Who are your spheres? What are your spheres? And who are the people that in those are maybe your Andrew, your Peter, your Philip? And to say to them, to take a posture towards them, come with me. Come with me to my home. Come with me. Let me let's, let's get to know each other. Let's, let's delve in. Let's invest into this relationship. Come with me to church. Or to come with me to meet some of my friends of who also share this faith with me. Come, come with me ultimately to follow Jesus. Don't just kind of think that those other people, God's going to use these other people and, and he's going to bring people to, to himself. He wants to use you and me. That's why we're still on this planet after we receive him. The only reason. So let's, let's capitalize on his magnificent, wise plan of how to do that through relationship. Can we pray? We're going to celebrate. We're going to have some cake. We're going to celebrate where, where, where we've been, but like I said, more importantly, where we're going. But let's pray and, um, and trust God to take us into where, in our own strength, we cannot go. So, Lord, we, we do thank you. Lord, first we want to pray with regards to what Rodney shared with us. Father, it's our desire to honor what you have done, and to not just forget about it, and to not just let the memory and the testimony die with another generation. We want to value and to have our faith encouraged. And uh, Father, we pray even over Rodney and over Nita and um, over what you have done through them, that Lord, there would be a just an open door, an ease to be able to 
give away what it is that you have given them and that it would multiply and grow in the subsequent generation. And Father, we, we do thank you, Jesus, that you are just so wonderful. There's something about the, what you do that's just so fulfilling to our hearts, that you're not about religion and that you're actually about relationship and home and intimacy and realness and authenticity. And so, Lord, we do embrace that value. Establish the value of the kingdom of heaven in our hearts, we pray. And that people who don't know that and have never experienced healthy family, broken families, that they would be healed and their hearts would be bound up in the context of your family, your church in the city, we pray. Father, we, we pray that you would uh, kind of launch us from the nest with regards to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, that you would cause us to step out and to begin to fly. And you would train us. And Lord, we do just trust you for that. That uh, we don't stay where we are. Lord, we take radical steps of faith and allow you to take us where you will. And Father, we pray that uh, all of these precious people that you hung on a cross for, that we are connected with, that we would go back into those spheres, not just looking at our own interests in our own life, but carrying your heart for people, and that we would invest in, in people, and that you would use us by your grace to reveal yourself to people, we pray. We thank you for it. Thank you for it, Father. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you. Thank you, Lord. I just want to share something that I felt the Lord this morning in prayer as I was preparing this morning. I just asked the Lord if there was something that he wanted to give me. And what, he, what I began to feel like I saw, I felt like I saw it for us as a church, actually. What I saw was if you, if you it was like the inside of the, of the wide part of an airplane wing. You know, that wide part that connects to the fuselage. And I was reminded of like airplane toys as a child that you would get it out of the box and you would assemble the parts and it would, the wing would connect into the fuselage and you could slide it and it would lock into place. And I felt like, I felt like the Lord say, remind me of that scripture in Isaiah about waiting on the Lord that he will uh, gain new strength and will rise up with wings like eagles. And so I just began to just receive that that as we wait on the Lord, and really just wait on him, just to connect with him and to allow him to whisper to us that we will be empowered with something beyond our natural strength to do what only he can do. But I, if you can hear me, I begin to feel like the Lord said, you know what, I didn't show you the wing of an eagle. I showed you the wing of an airplane. I said, Lord, what does that, what does that mean? And I don't always have this conversation with God, so don't think that, you know, like I'm always walking in some mystical thing. But I did. I said, Lord, what, what, do you, what does that mean? And I felt specifically that we have been, as a church, like a fuselage. And we've begun to move, but we haven't had wings. And that God would be connecting various things, new dynamics into our church life, even new people, that would cause 
our forward momentum to have what's called lift, that energy underneath the wing that begins to lift the fuselage. And the difference between an eagle and a plane is that the plane is constructed to transport people from one place to a desired destination. And that God is going to use us, I believe, as we wait on him to, to be that thing that helps lift people into a more desired location where he's, where he's taking them to. So, Lord, we do just honor you, only you. It's only in waiting on you. But we do ask you for those wings. We do ask you for, for uh, to take people, many people, from the er- earthly realms into the, into the um, kind of infinite possibilities of the open skies. In Jesus' name. Amen.